good to me and my family and uh, me and my wife first arrived in West Africa in 2002. Matter of fact, I think it was in the month of August and so this would actually mark 20 years uh, of our ministry there in West Africa. Uh, God certainly has blessed. We started out, as I said, in the Ivory Coast. Uh, you heard your pastor mention Burkina Faso and, uh, and so we started out in the Ivory Coast. Civil War broke out uh, within about the first two or three months of being there. We ended up in the country of Togo. Uh, while we were there in Togo, God really blessed. God worked in a great way. Uh, God allowed us to uh, improve in the language, learn more of the culture, learn more ministry. Uh, but we also, uh, God used us to start a Bible study in a village, uh, buy a piece of land. Matter of fact, even, even give the money to build a church building. And uh, today there's a church there in Togo. So we praise the Lord for that. Uh, and all. But we moved back to the Ivory Coast, worked there for a little over a year. Started a work in a Muslim village uh, with about 90% being Muslim. And just about everybody that was Muslim was from the country of Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso is very barren, desert-like. We're, we're border the Sahara Desert. Uh, and so uh, we get to, where we live particularly, we get about five months of rain uh, and seven months of absolutely no rain. Maybe one rain or two in between that seven months, but there's a lot of years we get no rain during that seven months. And so everything's brown, everything's dry for most of the year, uh, and, uh, and so we're very dry. But as you go south and you head south, you're getting closer to the ocean. The further south you go, uh, you begin to uh, run into, of course, more and more tropical-type climates. When, when you get down to the ocean there, uh, in the Ivory Coast and Ghana and Togo, uh, of course, you're very tropical. And so there's a lot of things that are grown in the Ivory Coast. You've got 50% of the world's cocoa comes from one country, uh, the Ivory Coast. And, uh, and I think Ghana, probably between West Africa, probably, I don't know, I'm not sure, I would say 70, 80% of the world's cocoa comes from one specific area. And, uh, and so a lot of people would leave uh, there, uh, Burkina Faso, to come work down in the Ivory Coast. Uh, well, we just so happened to be that uh, this whole village was basically made up of those from Burkina Faso. And uh, as we were starting a church amongst them, we fell in love with the people. And uh, I began to question who was up to the country to the north of us uh, preaching the gospel. And, uh, and there are just some other groups that are up there. And, and, and probably some of them do preach salvation. Uh, but as a whole, I could not find any independent Baptist preacher that was up there in the country of Burkina Faso. This was in the, this was in the year 2004. Well, finally, there was a missionary in the, in the Ivory Coast who told me, he said, I know of one missionary. He went up there in 2003, the year before. And, uh, and so I took a trip, visited him. And, uh, and, uh, and he, so at the time, uh, there was another national that had came, went, left the Ivory Coast, went up there. He started one church in Burkina Faso. And then there was this missionary who had just started a church there in Burkina Faso. So when we got there, uh, there were two churches there, uh, independent fun fundamental Bible-believing Baptist churches, for the whole country of about 20 million people. And, uh, and so as I was there, God began to open up my heart and my, my spirit and to go up there to the country of Burkina Faso. And I uh, came back uh, from that trip, told my wife, I feel like the Lord is leading us to go that direction. And we didn't realize it at the time, but civil war was going to escalate. And uh, we kind of had to get actually evacuated out on Italian military aircraft. At this time, we had my, my daughter, uh, my two daughters. Uh, my sons were not yet born at that time. 
And, uh, and so we, we were evacuated out of there, uh, got dumped into one country, long story, ended up finally in the Burkina Faso. A few weeks later, I flew back in uh, to Burkina Faso, packed all of our stuff up, drove out, and uh, got up to Burkina Faso. God has greatly blessed there and the country of Burkina Faso since we've been there since t- uh, basically December of 2004, basically 2005, so that's about 17 years now. God has allowed us, me and my family, or the men that we have personally trained uh, to start 20 churches there in the country of Burkina Faso. And so we're excited about the, the ministry, excited about what God's doing. Pray for us in the country. Uh, if you think about us, pray for the terrorism issue that's at hand right now. Uh, terrorist, the terrorist issue right now has gotten, uh, continues to grow. Uh, I used to say one-third of the country was probably kind of under terrorist control. Uh, the last I heard is actually more like 50% of it. So in the world today, uh, you've got Afghanistan that was number one in the world in terrorism. Uh, number two, you've got Iraq. Number three, you've got Somalia. Number four, you've got Burkina Faso right now. Uh, number six and number seven or eight, uh, you've got uh, Mali and Niger. And so it's a whole area right there that they're trying to control. They're trying to make West Africa one Islamic state. Uh, and, uh, and so there's a lot of... Um, Wicked things going on right now in certain areas, uh, but we do feel like the Lord would have us to go back at this time in September 22nd. The city that we live in uh, is not controlled by terrorists. Of course, you never know who's a terrorist. Uh, you hit and they could be your next door neighbor and you don't know. And uh, so pray with us. We do believe we, 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 God wants us to go back at this time. Uh, I do believe that God can protect us. God can heal us. God can spare us. I, I, I feel many times like uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know that my God can. Amen. I, you just never know. We, we, you know, I, but he's got his will, amen, I believe that. And, and I said this because somebody asked me this. Matter of fact, I was with my mother earlier this week, and uh, she was trying to give me pointers on, on making sure I, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting how that happens sometimes. Moms are always moms, aren't they? And, uh, and so mom is, mom is sitting there trying to tell me to make sure I'm being safe. And so I'm thinking, I just lived, and I've been through uh, multiple uh, coup d'etats, uh, overthrows of governments. We've been in kind of some weird situations. Matter of fact, my mom doesn't even know the half of it, and uh, because she would flip out even more. And, uh, and, uh, and so here she's trying to tell me about to be careful with the terrorism. And so I told her, I looked at her, and I said, Mom, and I said, I would rather die, and she doesn't like to hear that, but I was true, I'd rather die in God's will than live outside of God's will. Amen? And I'm uh, not looking forward to ending uh, in my life sooner than I, I would like to. No, I'd, I'd rather live for him until he comes back. Amen? And we go raptured up, if that's the case. Uh, but I do want to serve him with everything I've got. And, uh, and so I, I certainly don't want to leave uh, here, uh, this earth, uh, with, 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 with energy that I should have spent for him. And, uh, and so the Lord has been gracious to us. Uh, I want to tell you a little story about when we first got up to Burkina Faso. Uh, I, we, I, as I told you, we drove in. I, drove, I had to go back and get our stuff out. And uh, had a, I followed a truck in a container with my vehicle. And I got up to Burkina Faso, and my vehicle needed some work on it. So I'm in a new country. I don't know anybody. So there was a, a group called Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, and uh, they lived actually close to where our house was. And so I asked them, I said to them, I said, who's a good car mechanic? And they said, well, you know what? Right across the, our neighborhood, right across the main road, there is a Christian car mechanic that is there. And he said he does a very good job, and, uh, and, and he's very honest and everything. I said, well, that's wonderful. So I drove just across, you know, just a couple minutes, and there I was. And, and he asked me who I was and what I was there to do and, and, and everything else. And I said, well, my name's Keith Shoemaker. I was in the country of the Ivory Coast. We were starting churches down there, and, uh, and I thought God would leave me there. But God pointed us up to Burkina Faso uh, with the desire uh, to start churches.
churches, uh, as many churches as God will allow us to start here in this country uh, and see souls saved by the grace of God. And as I begin to say that, that this, this car mechanic, he began to smile, got very excited when I got done, and because I said, I said, I'm looking for a place to start a church, and he says, I have a place for you to start a church. Now, I had just been in the country for a few weeks, and here's this man saying, I've got a place for you to start a church. I said, well, where's this at? He says, matter of fact, it's where I grew up. It's in a village. It's about three and a half hours away from here. And he said, um, he said I left the, our village. I came to the city, and he said, I, I heard, I heard uh, the word of God preached. He said, I, I know that if I die today, I'd go to heaven. He said, I don't know how to read or write. He says, so I don't know a whole lot about the scriptures. I know what I've heard. And he said, I've tried to go back and just talk to my family and my immediate family. And he says, they kind of laugh at me because they're in their traditions, they're in everything else. And he says, so I just began to pray. I just began to pray that God would send a preacher to my village. And basically says, can you be that preacher? (laughs) Amen. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll go. I said, I can't promise you a church. I said, because I don't know if the people will accept us or not. But I will promise you one thing. You open up the door. You get the day and the time. We'll go together. And I will preach my hardest to your people about Jesus. And uh, we set out that first day. And we went out. And, and we're, on a, we're on a national highway, two-lane road. And, uh, and uh, halfway in between, that turns into a dirt road. Still a national highway. And then we get to a small city. And so we're on a smaller dirt road. And before long, we're on a donkey cart path. And, and so we're weaving in and out of trees, and you've got mud huts over here. And, I mean, it's what you see kind of in National Geographic, uh, mud huts. And, and you've got people out in their fields farming over here. And, and I'm just kind of taking it all in. And I look over here, and I see kind of a group of mud huts over here. And I see another group over here. But right kind of in the middle of, of, of those two uh, sections, uh, groups of, of mud huts, I see this big old mango tree. And there is a whole lot of people around it and underneath that mango tree. And as, as I see that, the car mechanic says, we're here. And I said, we're, we're, we're at your village? He says, yeah. And I said, so those people are gathered today so that I can preach the word of God to them. He said, absolutely. They had never had a preacher in their village. Uh, but praise God, got to open up the word of God. I think there was probably 200 or so that were there that morning. Got to open up the word of God and preach Jesus to those people. And uh, we had a few ladies come forward and get saved with the grace of God that morning. And uh, we started going out there every other Saturday. The second Saturday we were out there, a few more ladies came forward and got saved with the grace of God. And the third Saturday we went out there, a young man by the name of Dominique got saved by the grace of God. That was in 2005. And from 2005 to 2012, Dominique was a faithful young man in our church. And, uh, and he just grew and everything else. And so in 2012, he came to me with two other young men. And, uh, and so there was three of them total. And they said to me, they said, Pastor, we don't know how to explain it. We don't know how to, uh, uh, to tell you exactly what's going on. Uh, the, 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 but God's been working on our lives for the last few months. And uh, this is the best way we know how to explain it. God wants us to become like you. Hey, I mean, they never seen anyone called to preach, and uh, they never heard. They, I mean, I, I talked about the calling to preach, but they didn't know church before we got there. They never seen church. All they knew were their old traditions. And, uh, and so I, I was rejoicing. I got in the car rejoicing, and a few, uh, and a few minutes down the road, uh, I had that oh me moment. Have you ever had those oh me moment in the middle of rejoicing or thinking about something good, and all of a sudden your, your reality hits you? And the reality of the situation was none of these men had education. One of them could read a little bit. The other two couldn't read at all. 
And, uh, and, uh, and also, they did, not only did they not speak, I speak French, but they speak their tribal tongue. And, uh, and so the pastor that was out there, uh, we, we, we talked about it, prayed together, and we felt like since God's called them, uh, of course, I always feel this way, if God has called somebody in our church and in our ministry to do something, I'm going to do everything I can to try to help him to become what God wants him to become. And it doesn't matter if he's 10, it doesn't matter if he's 20 or 60 or 80, it doesn't matter. I'm going to try my best uh, to, to be the pastor that I need to be and to teach them so God can use their lives. And, uh, and so we started oral Bible classes and, uh, and started those And as we went through them literacy classes. Uh, but I'm sure without a doubt today, those three men stood up and uh, they read the Word of God and they preached the Word of God this morning there in Burkina Faso. So we praise the Lord for what God's doing uh, there in the country. But I want to share with you a testimony before we get to John chapter number 4. As we got to that village, the chief came out that first day. And uh, we've, we've learned uh, that if the chief, chief is on your side, we've learned that uh, fr- pretty much from this chief uh, that I'm telling you about, that if you get the chief on your side, it doesn't really matter who's against you in the village. If the chief's on your side, you're okay. And, uh, and so, and actually, matter of fact, matter of fact, if God's on your side, who cares what the rest of them think, amen? And that's the truth. And it's true there. Uh, and uh, some of the other missionaries will go into a village, and uh, they'll, they, they'll, they'll, it's almost like they forget about the chief. And I'm always like, man, you, it doesn't matter if the chief's saved or not. Make them your friend, amen? man, and uh, he'll take care of you, and so this chief was always kind, he came out that first day, the day we dedicated our church building, he came out, and he heard the word of God preached both times, and uh, sometimes we'd go out to where they lived, and uh, instead of just knocking on doors or passing out tracks, uh, the strategy that we used out in this village and in other villages, uh, because they won't all come to church, but, but if we went out to near where they were, and we'd invite this group of uh, family group with the, all those mud huts and over here and over here, we meet, invite them all to come to the middle. You can have a group of 15 on sometimes up to 50 or 60 that would come. And they might not come to the church, but they'll at least come underneath another tree and hear you preach. So I know without a doubt that the chief probably heard the word of God preached between six, seven, eight good times. And when I was there, and probably heard it a few other times. But when he got done listening, a lot of times he would talk to us as, and uh, he would say, so glad you're here, so glad the church you started. If you need anything, you let me know. And uh, so in 2012, we heard he was a very sick man. We were there on a Friday night, and they said, we don't think the chief's going to make it. They said the chief at this time was over 100 years old. And I don't know how old he was, uh, but he looked, he looked like he was about 100 years old. And, uh, and, uh, and, and all, and so we, we, the Saturday morning we woke up, me and a couple pastors prayed. We drove over to where the chief was, and uh, he was sitting in his chair, and very weak. You could tell he was very weak, wasn't feeling great, uh, but he was still in his right mind. And so we gave him the gospel one last time, and uh, began to go through the gospel, to attack him through Adam and Eve and sin all the way to the cross and what Christ did. And when we got done, he started giving his little speech again about, if you need anything, you let me know, and... and and uh, glad you're here, and, and, and just, just, keep, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And one of our pastors' name is Justin. Now, Justin is always, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a man of God, great preacher, full of compassion, loves sinners. He got down kind of next to the chief, kind of got down on his knees next to the chief's chair and kind of put his arm, arm hand on the back of the chief's chair and kind of looked eye to eye with the chief. He's not probably really supposed to do what he did, but he did it anyway. And he said, Chief, you and I both know that you won't be here much longer. He said, you basically said the gospel is good enough for everybody else, but what about you? When he said that, the chief put his head down, began to think for about 10 seconds or so. And after about 10 seconds, he picks his head up and he looks at us and he says, if it's good enough for everybody else, then it's good enough for me. 
And a few minutes later, he bowed his head and he trusted Jesus as his Savior. Well, I tell you, we were excited and we were, we were thrilled. And then the chief shared a story with me. He says, I've been chief of this village for a very, very, very long time. He said, he says, he said, I, he said and as far back as I can figure out, he probably in his 20s or 30s was made chief of that village. And now I said he's probably about 100 years old. So he had, been, he had been chief of that village probably for 70 or so years. And so he said, as a young man, he said, I heard this story. He said, I heard this story that there was a man that carried this book. He said, I don't know where, I don't know, I can't, I don't know where, really where I heard the story. I heard it from somebody. And he said, I don't know exactly what village they were talking about. But they said, this man came in with this book, opened up this book, told stories out of this book. And he said, that book changed people's lives. And he said, so one day as I was thinking about that story, he said, I looked up in the heavens and I said, God, would you send a man with the book? And he said, years went on and no man came. He said, years came, went on and no book came. He says, but then one day you came. He said, you got out of our car. He said, you shook our hands. He said, but then you went back to your car. And he said, you got out the book. He said, you opened up the book. He said, and you told us about a man by the name of Jesus. And he said, Jesus has changed other people's lives. And today Jesus has changed my life. The chief never came to church after that. Uh, he died about two or three weeks later. I never got to be baptized, but I believe uh, that if he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior, we'll see him one day in heaven again. Amen. And, uh, but think about that. Uh, that prayer uh, from that chief probably was said 50 or 60 years before I got there. He just wanted a man with a book. He didn't need a man with a Ph.D., not, not saying anything wrong with someone to have a, a, a doctorate degree in theology or something, but that's not what the chief needed. He just needed somebody that loved Jesus and somebody that loved others and somebody that was willing to leave and go and tell them about Jesus. Amen. And so we're going to get in that story this morning, John chapter number 4. And uh, I, I would say in John chapter number 4, I, I, probably, uh, I probably preach as many different messages out of John 4 as any passage of Scripture anywhere in the Bible. And, uh, and great passage of scripture, the Samaritan woman here, the woman at the well, and uh, in so many different aspects here. And uh, I've preached seri- a series of messages through that. I've preached different things. But I want to focus in on, uh, on a couple thoughts right here, starting in verse number 25. Uh, John chapter number 4 and verse number 25. The woman saith unto him, and of course there's a Samaritan woman, and we'll get into her life just a little bit. Uh, but uh, she says, saith unto him, saith unto Jesus, I know that when the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Uh, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Verse number 28, The woman then left her water pot and went away into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? I'm interested in verse number 30 to 28 when the Bible says right there, this woman then left her water pot. I want you to think about that for a little bit. I heard the other day, and, and uh, of course I didn't say anything there in the service and all. And I, I, what he was saying was, was true in the sense of uh, that there's some sins that we need to leave behind. That's true. There's, uh, uh, there, 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 there's some burdens that we need to leave behind. I, I understand that Hebrews chapter number 12 tells us that, that we ought to leave the sin and, and leave the burdens behind that, that cripple us to run the race that God wants us to run. So I understand what he was saying was true, but he said in reference to the water pot, he said in reference here that we ought to leave our sins like this lady lost her water pot. I don't think that water pot represents anything evil. 
I hope you understand that. In context, this water pot represents what? This water pot represents her daily life. This water pot represents a woman. Of course, she has no running water. Uh, what she would do, just like the other women would do, is they would get their water pot, put it on their head. They would walk out to where the well was. They would take that rope and take that little bucket or whatever they had. They would draw water. They'd put it in their, in their pot, and they'd put it back on their head, and they would carry it back to their house, and it would take care of their daily water needs. Now, we see that over in Burkina Faso all the time. And, uh, you know, women, maybe here they go down to the beauty parlor and that's where they get their talk and gossip for the day or for the week or the month or however it is and uh, but there in Burkina Faso you want to know where women gather around the well Amen. They gather around the water pot. They gather around the hand pump that's there in their village. And, uh, and so, I, I usually speaking, I, most of the time when I go drive by, there can be a whole huge group of women. And matter of fact, I don't think, they think, it, I don't think for many of them they mind if it takes an hour or two. <laughs> because it's their time to chat and talk. But here's a lady who when she went to the well, there was no other woman there. And there's a reason for that. It, it talks about the time and the hour that she came. Many of the women probably came earlier, but the reason why she came later is because she was an outcast. She was an outcast because she was a Samaritan. She wasn't a Jew. She was shocked that a man, and a Jewish man at that, would even talk to her. She was an outcast because she was a woman. She was an outcast because she was a Samaritan. And she was an outcast because of her life. Jesus said to her, that she, when he said, call your husband, she, 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 she said uh, her statement, and Jesus said, yeah, you, you, you said very well. Uh, because he said, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. So obviously this woman was not living a good moral lifestyle, but, but boy, praise God for the love of Jesus, amen. Jesus just didn't come to somebody who was pure. Jesus didn't come to someone that was just uh, already morally right. Jesus came to the one uh, that needed him the most. <laughs> and get this, get this, a revival came by this one. And so guess what this woman did? As she heard and realized who Jesus was, she forgot about for a time. I believe she probably went back. The Bible doesn't say this. But no doubt she went back later on, uh, filled up her water pot, and took it back into town. So this water pot does not represent anything evil. doesn't represent anything. It just represents normal life. It represents going and drinking and cooking and working and everything else. But there's sometimes in our life, if we want the God of heaven to use our life, there's times that we're going to have to leave our water pot. We're going to have to leave our water pot. The normal for my life before I got saved by the grace of God, uh, was what, what, of course, what, what does the lost man do? He thinks about how he can prosper his life, how he can prosper his way. And I uh, went to college, uh, going into college, uh, my idea was to be a businessman. You say, why be a businessman? Why else? To make money. Amen. And, uh, and I got a business degree. Didn't use that. God saved me in college. God called me to preach in college. God called me to the mission field in college. And when I got in with college, guess where I went? On the mission field, amen. And uh, God changed my life. And, uh, and you say, what would you do? I left my water pot, amen. And, uh, and, uh, and so sometimes we're going to have to leave our water pot. So I'm going to ask you this question right here. How do you leave your water pot? How did she leave her water pot? We're gonna, point number one this morning is we're going to have to learn of the Savior. You understand when Jesus came to this question, when she said, when the Messiah cometh, he'll tell us all things. 
Now, it wasn't just we can't isolate that and say that Jesus said, I am he, and all of a sudden because there was a great radiant of light or, or, or maybe a thunderous sound or, or, for, or, or she saw a great miracle at that moment, the, the Bible doesn't say any of that. It's because they already had a conversation that went on before that. And she realized through that conversation that the man that was before her was a good, honest, probably a prophet of a man. And the moment that he said, I am Jesus, she said, you are. (laughs) So how did she leave her water pot? Because she learned of him. You want to know one day why I became a missionary? And of course it's because of the call of God. But you want to know why I didn't want to resist the call of God? Because I learned of him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm saved by the grace of God this morning. I'm glad this morning that if I die today, I know where I'd go. Amen. I no longer go to hell. I'm on my way to heaven. I don't know about you, but I was lost in religion. I was a Catholic growing up. Did everything the Catholic church ever taught me to do. Did everything that my mom taught me to do. And at the age of 16, I met a good Christian friend. Now, I didn't understand that, that what I needed was salvation at a time, but I did understand one thing. What he had and what I had was not the same thing. I realized that when I prayed, I prayed the prayer my mom taught me to pray. When, when he prayed, before we ate a meal, he didn't pray like I prayed. He prayed like he knew God. And I sat there and thought, man, he's got something I don't have. Hey, one day, one day, one, got to talking to him and his father one night, and they encouraged me to start reading the Gospel of John. And so I was sitting there, and, and at this time I was 18 years old, and, uh, and, uh, and I had a number of uh, scholarships on, on the table to play, play basketball. There's a big surprise there, I know. And uh, to play basketball, uh, to go to college, and, and, and free ride to a number of colleges. And, uh, and, and, and uh, that, that after I got done reading the Gospel of John that night, I got down on my hands and knees. I was a lost man. I have heard people say that God never answers the prayer of a lost man. He heard Cornelius' prayer. I believe he heard mine. I said, God, I don't know where you've got for me to go. Did you know I want to know the truth? God had already been working on me. And I said, it's kind of hard to find the truth where I'm at. I said, you leave. I said, God, I do not know what college I need to go to. Close all the doors down and leave one open. This next week, everything closed down except for one. Small college. Everyone laughs at this. called Shorter College. And... Uh, and uh, in Rome, Georgia. Got up there. My dorm room was right next to a young man. Now, this, you can say this is by chance or by luck. I think it's by God's providence and God's hand. Amen. God orchestrated this better. I mean, I couldn't have planned it any better. There's no way you could plan it this way. My room was right next to a young man, and he loved God. He loved the Bible. He, he loved Jesus, and he started a Bible study. And he, he wasn't called to preach at the time. And uh, he said, he said, why don't you come to Bible study? And I wasn't against it. I was looking for the truth. I went to that Bible study, sat there for about uh, two months in Bible study. One day, one night, all the rest of the young men, probably about six or seven of them, went back to their other ways. I stayed back and I said, you've been talking about salvation. Explain to me what salvation is in the Bible. Yeah, I had heard, I had heard what religion said. I had heard what a man had said. I wanted to know what God said in the Word of God. So he took me from verse to verse to verse in the book of Romans and other verses and he showed me I was lost, I was a sinner, I was on my way to hell and I deserved to go to hell. But there was a great God in heaven that loved me and Jesus came and died for me. I looked at him as serious as I could, brother. And I said to him, I said, as far back as I remember, I believe the Bible was the word of God. And I did. 
I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe that he died. He lived a pure sinless life. I believe he died on a cross. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose again. I believe those things. I went back to my room. And when I went back to my room, I began to think upon that. And that everything that he shared with me, and uh, I, I sat there for probably, I'd say 15, 20 minutes sat there. Thought about, thought about who was I trusting to get me to heaven. And as I was think, sitting there, I began to get a bigger and bigger and bigger list. I was trusting in my works to get me to heaven. I was trusting in my baptism to get me to heaven. I was trusting in the church to get me to heaven. I was trusting in the priest to get me to heaven. I was trusting in the saints to get me to heaven. And uh, finally, somehow, Jesus was mixed with all that. But through what I'd heard and seen in the Word of God, I realized there was only one way to get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, what, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I realized it was only Him and Him alone. So I got down there, didn't have a priest next to me. Amen. Didn't even have a preacher next to me. I didn't even have a Christian next to me. Amen. It was just me and God there in that dorm room. Got down on my hands and knees and I said, God, I've trusted in all kinds of things for, for, for my salvation. I said, but tonight I'm putting my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And you say, what happened? When I got up from there, I got up a changed man. Amen. When I went down that night, down, when I went down that night to kneel, I was a lost man and I was on my way to hell. But praise God, by the time I got up, I was a saved man and I was on my way to heaven. I went down as a man that was dead in his trespasses and sins. But by the time I got up, I had eternal life. Amen. I went down. I was a child of the devil. By the time I got up, hallelujah, I was a child of God. Amen. You say, what, what changed your life? Why, 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 why are you a missionary? So, you know what? It's, it's interesting. The world thinks that I ought to be depressed about being a missionary. The world thinks that. They really do. Matter of fact, it's not just the world. Sometimes it's in churches. Do you really enjoy being over there? You want to know what I do? It's not necessarily the mission field that I enjoy. You know what I enjoy? I enjoy serving Him. The more you learn about Him, the more that you learn about the Scriptures, the more you learn about how He loves you, the more you learn about where you deserve, where you deserve to die and go. Amen. You, you, it just, man, I'll tell you, I just love to, I love to serve Him. Amen. They learned of Him. I, I don't know if you've heard this story or not. But there, was this, there was this man, and uh, him and his son, they were uh, fascinated. They were over in Europe. They were fascinated. The, the, the father was a wealthy man. They were fascinated by paintings. They loved paintings. This was many years ago. And, and the father with the son, you know, as today is sometimes people trade baseball cards or something. Their passion was to get some of the greatest paintings. They said you used to be able to walk into his house and, and, and around the walls of his house uh, were these great paintings of their day. And they said it was like a museum just in their house. People would stop by and say, can, can we just come in and see your paintings? And, and, uh, and so that's the father and the son. Now, I don't know where the, 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 the story that I read, there's no, there's no mother mentioned, there's no ma, uh, wife mentioned, so she maybe passed away, I don't know, and, uh, but she's not in the scene. And so uh, here, here they've got this, this story, but all of a sudden there, the, the war broke out, and, and uh, there, this, this, the son got drafted. He had to go into the war. And uh, the time went on, and... And uh, finally, the father got a note back saying that his son had been killed. He got the news back that his son had been killed in the war. The father, of course, was there depressed and all alone and no wife and no other children, just depressed and discouraged. One day, he got a knock at a door and he shows up. And when he showed up, uh, he opened up the front door. There's this man, young man, and 
his soldier's uniform. And he said, I, I've been meaning to come by. I just didn't have time. And he said, he said uh, I'm very sorry about the passing of your son. He said, matter of fact, uh, I, I, I was right next to your son for, for much of the battle. He said, we become friends. And he said, he told me, he often told me about uh, the paintings that you had on your walls. And, and he said, I, I, I always loved art. And, and he, says, and I, I, he said, I'm not very good. He says, but... Uh, he said, uh, as we were sitting there one day and had a little, uh, nothing was escalating, nothing was going on, and had a little time. He said, I, I just got a piece of paper out and I sketched a little portrait of your son. And he said, he said, I know it's not real good. He says, I know the paintings that you have along your walls are magnificent and some of the best of, the day, of your day. He says, but uh, I just really felt like I needed to come by and give you this painting. And so he comes and give, gives up. Uh, the father that painting, the, the father looks at it and, and because it's a photo of the son, I mean, he, he just stares at it and he loves it and he is enamored by it and he, 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 he thanks the young man and says, thank you so much for coming by. And he immediately comes back into the house and where his masterpiece is, he takes that down and he puts the picture of his son right there. And uh, the father passes away after a few years and word gets out there's going to be an auction of these paintings. There's going to be this great auction of all these different paintings. And so people come from all over Europe to come and, and uh, bid on these paintings. And, and wealthy people and, and rich people come and they're there at the auction. And, and so the auctioneer stands up and, and the auctioneer when he stands up he holds up that painting of the sun. And he said, who's going to take the painting of the sun? And no one wants to bid on the sun. After a few, a minute, a minute or so, they, they start saying, put that aside and, and uh, put that over uh, and, and, and do the other ones. You can come back to that one. If someone wants it at the end, it's okay. And he says, I've got specific instructions that this has to be done first. Well, there was the gardener there, the gardener that was a gardener for the father. He wasn't wealthy at all. He's just a gardener. Didn't think that he could ever have any of the paintings or anything whatsoever. Uh, but because no one else was bidding, he bidded the lowest amount possible, said, I'll take it. And, uh, and the auctioneer said, okay, it is done. And he said, the whole auction is done. And everyone starts, I mean, they're, in, they're, they're mad. They've traveled for miles and miles and miles. And um, they've spent money. They've come with money to buy these paintings. And they're saying, what do you mean? He said, the father had specific instructions. Whoever gets the son, he gets it all. <laughs> hey, man, I don't know about you. But when I got the son, praise God, I got it all. There's nothing this world can give me compared to what I've already got in Christ. Hey, man, Christ. When you learn of the Savior, <laughs> praise God. Think about this right here in, in, in uh, Point number one, we got to learn how to save it. Point number two, we got to love others. Think about this. And I was thinking about this as I was driving down, driving here this morning. Christ always told the truth, except to the religious crowd, but it was very evident that he told the truth and loved everybody else. Now, to the religious crowd, it seemed like he didn't give much mercy, did he? Because they knew better. They should have known better. But he loved others. So you want to say, how, how do I leave my water pot? How does the great God of heaven use my life? I don't know about you, but I want God to use my life. Amen. So to say I'm, I'm the greatest car mechanic, 
or I'm the greatest lawyer, or I'm the greatest president the world has ever had. No, you want to know what I want to be? I just want to be the greatest servant that I possibly can be. I don't have to be greater than you. I just want to be the greatest servant that I can be. I'm not running in a race against you. Matter of fact, you want to know the race that I'm running? I'm running my own race. Now, you're running your race, and you want to know what? You say, well, how's that work? The Apostle Paul talked to, we're all running in a race this morning. And I'm not running against pastor right here. We're running side by side. I can call pastor up. I can encourage him. He can call me up. He can encourage me. But you want to know what? Where his finish line is is where God wants him to finish. You know where my finish line is where God wants me to finish. And you say, well, what happens if I don't finish my course? Well, we know if we're saved by the grace of God, we're going to heaven one day. But I do believe there's a lot of Christians that won't finish their race or God's will for their life on earth. You want to know why? Because many of them never left their water pot. You've gotten so wrapped up in daily life that you forget about serving God. We think Sunday morning's enough. Oh man, I give, I give God, I give God Sunday morning. I'm not down at the lake. I'm not at the ball field. Now there's a lot of Christians doing that today. I, I mean, I don't mind having hobbies. Don't mind going fishing. Don't mind going hunting. I love those things. Matter of fact, I don't know if anyone knows disc golf. Uh, playing that, me and my son, we love playing that. I said, but, but there's a time to play that. There's a time not to play that. That doesn't conflict with my love for Christ. When it's time to serve Him, it's time to serve Him. I've got to put those things that I love aside. The thing you might love, the passion you might have, fishing, hunting, I don't know, something else. That's okay. That's fine. But there's times, sometimes, we've got to take that water pot of the thing that we love, put it aside so that we might serve Him, the one that we ought to love the most. That is the truth. Love others. Think about that for a little while. I've got to love the Savior, but I've got to love others. I remember hearing, a, hearing an evangelist say one day, and he stood up. Now, he rubbed me real wrong. I, I don't know. Maybe he didn't mean it the way he said it. Maybe he meant it as a joke, but here's what he said. He said, I tried pastoring one time. He said, I didn't do very good at it. He said, because, he says, he said, I don't like to be the shepherd of a bunch of sheep. He said, I don't love the sheep. And everyone likes his preaching. He said, what did you do to his preaching? I kind of tuned it out, I'll be honest with you. You want to know what pastoring is? You want to know what ministering is? You want to know what being a missionary is? It's about leading a flock. Preacher talked about it today. It's about loving a flock. You want to know about you? And God using you to reach other people. Think about this lady right here. One of the greatest revivals that has happened in the Bible and the Word of God. We don't know how many came this day. But the Bible says there was many, many, many Samaritans that came. But you know what? Jesus says we just went to the one. You want to know who came and brought the rest of them out of the town? It was this woman. She left her water pot. And so point number three. We've already talked about that a little bit. But we're going to have to leave the normal. We're going to have to leave the standard. We're going to have to leave. You know, you know it, it, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. You, you know, and, 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 and I've had people talk, talk and, and, and it's fine. If this is God's will for my son's life, that's fine. I understand this. But uh, people have said, and Isaac, Isaac's very smart. Someone made a comment to me the other day, and they said, your son Isaac is so smart, he could be an engineer. I believe he probably could be, a very good one. He's, 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 got, a, he's got that mind that retains. I don't have that mind. 
I mean, I, 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 I read something in the Bible, and, and, and within three seconds, it's gone. It's somewhere else, you know. I don't know. Just, and i got to go back to verse number one. I don't know if any of you have got that problem. I've got a problem when I read the Bible. i got a struggle. I do it but, it, but it's a struggle. You read and don't retain. But he, it's like, for him, it's like glue. It just sticks. And uh, very smart, very intelligent. And, uh, and then they, were like, they were like, well, he could be a great engineer one day. And I said, you know what? I just, want, I just want to be a great servant of God. That doesn't mean that he has to be a preacher. A servant of God is not just a preacher. Every, every child of God ought to be a servant of God. We're really no different. We're all servants of God. God has chosen some of us. We, we read about this morning. God has chosen some as he pleased. As he, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like what God chose. They say they love God, but they don't like what he chose. You, you talk about women preachers today. Oh, it's not fair because women can't preach. Well, take that up with God. I didn't say it. The Bible says he did it as he pleased. So if you love God, you'll be willing to accept what he's done. I mean, but the, the, the natural, my wife said this yesterday. She saw some caution tape. She's laughing. She saw some caution tape. She says, when you see that white, that, that yellow caution tape, and it's put somewhere, does that, she goes, she said that to my, my kids and, my, and me. She says, does that not just not make you want to go walk in and see why it says that? Does it not? Is that not the nature of man? And so when God says, here's the order, and we say, eh, it's kind of like caution tape, you know. I wonder what would happen if we just step a little bit over on the other side. There's a reason why God ordained it the way he ordained it. I used to be bothered, preacher, I don't know if you, I used to be bothered when I'd hear these other preachers. Man, they get up here, and they, they, I mean, it's like they're intellectual, and they're smart, and they stand up, and they give this great message. And I'm thinking, man, alive, I, I feel inadequate. And I got to realize, God doesn't want me to be like those other preachers. God just wants me to be key shoemaker. God wants me to run my ministry the way he wants me to run the ministry. God's got something for you. God's got something for me. We've got to leave the normal. I remember watching this video. As a matter of fact, our, our pastor showed this video at missions conference not too long ago, a few months back. And he showed this video of this, 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 this man. He's a man now, but it was when he was a kid. His father had passed away. And his father had planted fields. And, and with the help of the three little boys, they had planted a bunch of fields. But the father knew how to run the tractor. He knew how to do everything. The father passed away in the middle of, of harvest season. And then the crops grew up, and he says, Mom and me and us could not cut the crops down. He said, the crops were about to perish. They were, they were, he said, we, we, we thought we were going to lose everything. We didn't know how we were going to keep our farm because we needed the crops. We needed everything. He said, and all of a sudden, one day, he said, I heard some tractors coming down the road. He says, before long, he says, it wasn't one or two. It was tractor after tractor after tractor after tractor after tractor after tractor that came. <laughs> and guess what happened? They all came together, and in one day, they cut that whole man's, all those fields. They got the harvest all in for them. And here's the phrase he said. He said, they left their harvest fields to come work in ours. And he says, we ought to leave our harvest fields to go work in his. 
in God's. And that's true. Leave the normal. Point number four. Think about this. So we've got to learn of the Savior. We've got to love others. We've got to leave the normal. But point number four, we've got to lift our eyes. It's right here in verse number 35. You've heard, you've heard this said many times. Uh, uh, Say not ye, Jesus is talking, there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now I had heard this preached, and I had preached it this way before. I preached that Jesus was standing there, his disciples were gathered around, and there was a harvest field that was right next to him. And that harvest field was probably a wheat field. And, uh, and the wheat field, when it's turning white, is not ready to be picked. Matter of fact, it's going past time. I mean, it's, it's, it's being ruined almost, basically. And so that's what I'd heard preach. And then one time I was getting ready to preach this passage and I was going through. And as I read the whole thing in context, I didn't just isolate verse number 35. I read it in context with the story of the, of the Samaritan woman. And, uh, and I read that to you this morning. She says what in verse number 29? Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Listen to this, verse number 30. Then they went out of the city and came to him. So let's look, at, let's look right now at verse number 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Look on the fields. Who is coming right now at this very moment towards Christ? It's the whole town. It's exactly right. So Christ is not saying, look at this field that's about to perish. No. He said there's still four months until this field is ready. He said, but there's a field that's ready right now. They're ready right now. If you'll lift up your eyes, think about that phrase, lift up your eyes. So if we look down, who are you looking at? We're looking at our own selves, exactly, brother. We're looking at my life, we're looking about my family, we're looking about my fishing, we're looking about my work, we're looking about my car, we're looking about my, 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 my finances, looking about my future, looking about, I mean, it's just all about me. Ah, no. We've got this movement that's gone on. You've heard about it. Talk about the me movement, the me too movement. Now, I understand if someone has been done wrong, that's that's a different story. But you want to know what a lot of people are doing today? When when this movement swept in, you'll hear everybody giving every excuse of why they're not successful and they're blaming on everybody else. Oh, it's not my fault. I'm okay. It's all their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. But Christ says right here, he says, get your eyes off of yourself for just a little while. You want to leave your water pot? You want the great God of heaven to use your life? You're going to have to lift your eyes. When you're at work, you're not just at work to go. You're just not there to get a paycheck. You want to know why you're at work? I don't know what jobs you do. I don't know where you work. I don't know what what all you're doing. But you want to know why you're there? You're there to be a light to a lost and dying world. But if all you're doing is looking here, all you see is a paycheck. I'm going to work to get my paycheck. But if you lift your eyes... You're going to say, I'm going to work to get my paycheck, but that's not really why God wants me here. God wants me to be a light. God wants me to reach somebody. So if you're at the house and you're looking down, oh, you're going to see your yard. You're going to see your house. You're going to see your needs. But the Bible says to lift up your eyes, and guess what you see? You don't see your house anymore. You don't see your car anymore. You don't see your needs anymore. You begin to see your neighbor over there. You begin to see your neighbor over there. You begin to see your neighbor over there. If you'll just lift up your eyes. You say, can God use my life? I'm telling you, God can use your life. I've come to find out when a church grows, it's usually not because the pastor has grown the church. I'm telling you, Lord's, Lord's allowed us to start many churches 
and also help other pastors start churches. You want to know when a church really begins to grow? Is when the members start bringing people. That's when it really begins to grow. I'm telling you. Everybody's got, oh, it's the job's pastor's job. It, he's, sure, he ought to be passing out tracts. Sure, he ought to be inviting people. The man over there in Africa, you want to know who I spend all my time with? Uh, there, almost 100% of my time is with church people. We've got people in our church that work in every other group. They go to school everywhere else. You want to know how we get other young people to come? Because our young people invite them. I, I, we, we go out on visitation. We pass out tracts. And uh, I can pass out 100 tracts, and I bet, I bet 85 of those say I'm coming tomorrow. You say, how many come? Mm, I like that. Maybe one or two. When it's one or two, man, we're on cloud nine. We're like, man, that was good. <laughs> you say, you, you, you stop passing out tracts? No, we still pass out tracts because we still get that one or two every once in a while. But you want to know how our church is really beginning to grow? Is when they start bringing their friends. You want to know how? They start lifting their eyes. And they realize where, God want, where God's planted them, they ought to shine bright. Point number five, it's right here. We ought to lift up our eyes to do what? Look on the fields. Think about that. It said right there in verse number 30, we saw the they. And uh, it says, they went out of the city. In verse number 35, it says, for they are white already to harvest. And they. God, God can do great things this morning. God wants to do great things. Amen. I don't... I. Think about this for a little while. I, I, I don't, I'm just, first time I've been here, don't know the atmosphere, don't, 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 don't know what, what, what's, what's happened uh, or anything, the history of the church. But I'll say this. There's a lot of churches, they're right now on what I call sinking ship. And if Christ doesn't come back in the next few years, their church doors will be closed. I mean, a lot of churches like that. But let me say this, that's not all, it's all, all doom and gloom. I've been in the last year, I've been in other churches that are thriving and doing as good now. Now, they've not sold out their convictions, they've not sold out their music, they've not sold out their standards, they've not sold out God, they've not sold out the Bible. They still believe what's right. And God's blessing them. But you know what they're doing? They're working. They've not taken the towel off. I don't know if you know the expression, you probably do, throwing in the towel. You know what a lot of Christians do? They've thrown in the towel. You say, what you ought to do? You ought to go pick up the towel and say, God, let me work for you for a little while. God can use this church to be a light here. Matter of fact, preacher, preacher was telling me, he says, we don't have a big group. He says, but, but God has been doing a great work in our lives about sending the gospel all across the world. And that is true. So the Bible says, lift up your eyes and look. There's churches sometimes, you know what they'll say? They'll say, no, we're just going to look at our needs. We're going to look at us. We're going to look at our, our, our mission field. And, they, and they, don't look, they don't look outside. Your pastor was telling me this morning that you guys are looking outside. Praise God for that. There's no, there's no telling how many people God has used this church to reach across the world through your missions program. God does that. But you want to know what? How to get you? It's it's interesting to have a good missions program. You know what you got to do? You got to get your eyes off yourself. I tell our pastors over in Africa, I tell them to keep one eye on the church and keep the other eye outside. So a lot of times, I've had other missionaries in Africa tell me missions don't work in Africa, and I said, if mission doesn't work in Africa, then missions isn't Bible. 
You say, what do we do? We take, we take, we take missions offerings in our churches in Africa to start other churches. I do support, I do help the pastors as they go out. I do help them build buildings, but I don't do everything for them. Matter of fact, if they won't help themselves, you know what I say? Well, you don't need my help. Because they ought to do what they can do. And so that comes to the bottom line. I can't do everything. You can't do everything. But there is something you can do. And sometimes we're just going to have to leave our water pot. We're going to have to take that water pot off our head. We're going to have to put it on the side. We're going to have to lay those things aside. Today, there's something you could have done this morning. You could have went down. I mean, I've watched them. Matter of fact, I I don't know what it is, but when I get near a stream, I like it. It's soothing. It's calming. I thought, man, I could go sit down there for about three or four hours. You know, I thought that, and I thought, man, praise God, I get to go to church. (laughs) And so I just passed the stream, looked, glanced over there, and said, hey, I'm going to church. Amen. So you got to put your water pot aside. You ought to pick that water pot up. It's not sin. That's your daily life. But think about this. In your daily life, God wants to use your life. Preacher, will you come?